You're listening to Hockey to Heroin, the road to recovery on the Hockey Podcast Network. New episodes Wednesdays and Saturdays. Follow Hockey to Heroin on Twitter. That's at Hockey, the number two heroin for updates and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Brady Leavell, like any other Canadian kid, his dream was to play in the National Hockey League. Success came easily to Leavell as he began to turn heads in the Junior Leagues. A late pass for Long, he's got Leavell with him, Long walks in, Sanders, goal! Leavell's a right-hand shot, rotates, and then sends it along, back to Leavell, And here we go, right off the bat, a fight ensues, and it's Leavold and Kerr, and they're both getting in shots. Now Leavold throwing right after right, and just connecting like crazy. Once I met heroin, I mean, it was just, that became my new passion. What's the reason that young people who are athletes get addicted to heroin? They injure themselves, and they're more likely to be prescribed an opioid. And once addicted, many are going to switch over to heroin because it's much more cost-effective. And the effects that they produce in the brain are indistinguishable. When we talk about painkillers, we're essentially talking about heroin pills. Welcome back to another edition of Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. This is Brady Liebel coming at you guys once again from Utterson, Ontario, right in the beautiful heart of Muskoka. I say it all the time, guys, I'm so lucky to live here. I wanna give a shout out uh, to my girlfriend, Taylor's parents, Pev and Steve. Thank you guys uh, for inviting me into your guys' lives. Um, you guys really had no idea. I haven't shared this story with anybody, but I actually met Taylor uh, while I was in jail uh, out here in Ontario because she had a friend in there. Um, and that's how we started talking. Uh, Bev and Steve actually invited me into their house without meeting me and uh, just listening to Taylor. They thought she was nuts uh, meeting a guy in jail um, and I don't blame them. Uh, but you know what? Things have turned out really, really, really good. It's been a short time, uh, but they've been so great. They just celebrated their 35th anniversary. I want to say congratulations to them. Uh, you guys are just incredible. Uh, you really show us uh, what love and perseverance is. So I just want to say thank you. Um, it's been a real privilege uh, to be a part of the family, uh, of the Debit family. Um, but uh, other than that, guys, let's get right into the episode. This is episode 21, possibly the biggest episode yet. Um, but before we get into that, there's lots going on. Today, I am not in the Matthew Lashinsky Memorial Studio, but that is because it is under construction. Matt Thompson came up three days ago. He's up here for the week. Uh, we've got the floor sheeted, it's extended out, the front wall cut off. Um, tomorrow he's coming back up. We're gonna frame up the walls, uh, build the roof. It's looking fantastic. Uh, we're really excited. Uh, to be able to do this in Matthew Lashinsky's honor, the Matthew Lashinsky Memorial Studio. Matthew Lashinsky, uh, born in 1987, drafted by the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds in the OHL Selection Priority Draft, and 
played a few seasons with them, but suffered with mental health and addiction, and unfortunately lost his battle with addiction in 2017. Now his story is so much like mine, and there is no real reason why he is gone and I am not. I did not know this young man, uh, but in hearing his story through Matt Thompson, uh, him and I had not met either, uh, but we talked every day the last two months and uh, decided that we would recreate the studio in Matthew Lachinsky's honor. Well, Matt Thompson came down uh, and he's been, like I said, he's been down here and we're doing this, uh, guys, and it's been great. So, uh, Amy, uh, Nancy, and Peter Lachinsky have all been on board, uh, Matthew's family. Uh, they're actually going to come out and check it out when it's all said and done, and that's great. So I want to say uh, thanks to them for their uh, support. Uh, also, I want to say thanks to Chad Balcom. He is the host of WHL Unfiltered, so guys, check that out. Uh, but he actually lives in Oregon, down in the United States. Uh, he's made uh, a plaque for the studio uh, and mailed it to me. I haven't got it yet, but I want to say thanks to Chad. Um, guys, of course, this episode is uh, proudly on the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, www.thehockeypodcastnetwork.com on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. They have uh, over 40 podcasts, uh, one for every NHL team, uh, plus uh, bonus content such as Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery, also Tales with TR, Ice Analytics. Uh, we also have a new uh, podcast coming out, uh, another former pro hockey player, so stay tuned for details on that, guys. Um, what else? Uh, uh, the Puck Support Foundation, guys, if you've been following along, the Puck Support Foundation is a new foundation that uh, a few of us have started. This is really to help junior and pro hockey players that do not have the NHLPA backing them, uh, that are either suffering with mental health, addiction, um, post-concussion syndrome, maybe they're having trouble finding a job. Uh, a number of things, guys, the list is so large of different uh, situations where guys may be struggling and there are so many guys struggling. So if you're listening, you're one of these guys that may be struggling, um, reach out to us. We'll see what we can do to help you. We're very new, uh, but we're taking this thing uh, to the highest possible levels. Uh, we're incorporating it. Uh, we got some exciting news. Uh, We've actually uh, put somebody in charge. Uh, I want to say congratulations to my best friend, Michael Hangen, a veteran at the WHL as a player and a coach. He also won the RBC as a coach. Uh, this guy is an incredible, incredible uh, human being and I'm very privileged to call him my best friend. He was number uh, eight, my uh, episode number eight. He was a guest. Uh, since then, we've been putting together this foundation along with Jesse Paradise. But I want to say congratulations to Michael Hangen on being named Chief Executive Director of the Puck Support Foundation. So he is the man in charge. Uh, also, I want to thank, uh, or not thank, but thank, but also congratulate um, Jesse Paradise, owner of Team Issues Limited and uh, veteran two of the Western Hockey League uh, and good friend of mine. He has been named the Director of Business and Finance for the Puck Support Foundation. Jesse Paradise uh, is a financial analyst at the University of Manitoba. He is also writing his Charter Professional Accountants um, test here in September. So he is the man in charge of the money. Uh, so great to have him doing that. Uh, we're going to announce uh, some more positions, guys. And if you want to get involved, uh, check it out, hockeyheroin.com. Check out the Puck Support page on there. 
Uh, the Puck Support Foundation website will be coming soon, so stay tuned. Uh, other than that, guys, uh, head over to thehockeynews.com and buy the Inspiration issue, which just came out. Um, Ken Campbell's written a piece uh, on me in the Matthew Lashinsky studio, uh, so guys, support them, buy that issue. Uh, other than that, we'll get right into the episode, and this episode is once again proudly brought to you by Team Issue Limited. Team Issue is connecting all walks of life. Team Issue does this by recreating that special feeling of, part of being part of something bigger. I really gotta nail that down, guys. I don't know why I'm having trouble. Uh, but guys, check it out. Teamissue.ca. I'm covered head to toe. Team Issue snapback, Team Issue hoodie, Team Issue t shirts, Team Issue active shorts, guys. They're just like Lululemons. They make girls' pants like that, too. Check it out. Teamissue.ca. Promo code TOEDRAG15 to get 15% off your total purchases. Uh, guys, their clothing is sick. Again, that's Jesse Paradise, his company. He's uh, doing amazing things. And guys, every Sunday night on the Hockey Heroin Facebook page, Taylor and I will be doing uh, live stream giveaways of Team Issued swag. So if you want to win some uh, slick Team Issued gear, uh, head over to hockeytoheroin.com, uh, ring on the main page, fill out the contest form, uh, and then tune in every Sunday at 9 p.m. Uh, time subjects changed due to the little ones and Taylor being pregnant, uh, but we've done it the last two weeks. It's been extremely successful. Uh, we've given away two hats, a couple face shields, some socks. Uh, guys, it's been great. Uh, congratulations to last week's winners. Uh, Amy Lashinsky, Matthew Lashinsky's sister, is one of our winners. Tia Walker, a family friend of ours, won. Uh, also, Amanda McGauley uh, and Jackie Sazo also won. Uh, Amanda McGauley uh, won the team issue hat. Jackie saw uh, won the team issued sock, so congratulations to them. Guys, make sure you head over there and sign up for your chance to win. Uh, anyways, guys, without further ado, this is episode 21, and what an honor. Holy shit, guys. Um, this guy is a member of the esteemed Hockey Hall of Fame. He was inducted in 2011. He also holds the Maple Leafs records for most points in a year with 127. He beat Daryl Sittler's record. He also owns, uh, which he's tied for, uh, the team record and assists in a game with Babe Pratt with six. Uh, just incredible. Uh, he also scored 177 points in one year in junior uh, as the Ontario Hockey League Player of the Year. He won the Canada Cup with Canada with Lemieux and Gretzky. He also won the Memorial Cup and the Stanley Cup with the Calgary Flames. Uh, this guy is maybe one of the greatest hockey players of our generation, uh, possibly the greatest Toronto Maple Leaf of all time. Without further ado, it is my great pleasure and great honor to welcome none other than number 93, Doug. Killer Gilmore, welcome. Rob, thanks great for having me. Congratulations on what you're doing. Well, Doug, uh, you know, coming from you, that that really means a lot. And um, people may not know this, Doug, but um, you know, I've been very candid about my story. Uh, obviously, I didn't really have a choice because I went to jail back in 2015, and it was front page news uh, in Vancouver. But uh, you know, having read your book, uh, your family is heavily, heavily, heavily involved 
in the corrections uh, world. Um, so there's actually some funny stories about you visiting prisons, uh, you know, as a 17-year-old playing ball. But uh, I know I spoke to your brother Doug originally, uh, who set this thing up for me. So I want to say thank you, or not Doug, sorry, Dave. Uh, Dave, sorry. Uh, Dave, thank you so much uh, for doing this. Um, thank you for all the work your family's done in the correction system because uh, unfortunately I spent about three years uh, in that system uh, due to my addiction and my lifestyle. Um, and listen, there's uh, good and bad people everywhere you go, but for the most part, I had a really, really uh, okay experience in jail as, as, as far as it went because uh, of the staff. Um, you know, you treat them with respect and you get treated with respect. Uh, so just let me say thank you uh, to your family uh, for their service in that in that uh, industry because I know it's not easy. They must have seen a lot of uh, different things. But we'll get right into the episode. Uh, that was just that was just really interesting for me. You know, um, you know, I just I had really had no idea, and I'm not sure if people knew that. So uh, your dad was obviously quite the character. You guys had uh, a really really uh, solid relationship and. Uh, you know, reading your book, Doug, I, you know, I really get to think about my dad. His and I relationship has been so shitty these past few years, but uh, it's been nice that we've been able to reconnect. Uh, but Doug, what has it been like for you transitioning uh, out of hockey? Um, and what's been the most difficult thing that you've experienced? Yeah, you know, Bree, um, go back to my family first. Yeah, uh, my brother David that uh, you spoke to, he, uh, he played pro. He played uh, London Knights with Daryl Sittler and Dan Maloney. Then he, he went to the American League for many years. And, um, you know, he was, he was kind of a good inspiration for me, meaning uh, I had somebody there, not just my dad, but my brother, saying, don't do this. This is what I did. Don't do this. And, um, you know, the people, uh, for example, Grapes, just says to me, he goes, you know what? If he could have got it together, he was better than you. And, uh, that's good for Dave, but again, he helped me out along the way, almost like a father figure. We're 13 years apart, and uh, his, uh, you know, kind of answers is what I needed to help out as well. So when when I retired, I was very blessed to play for 20 years, and um, my kids were young at the time, and I, uh, I have two boys, two girls, but my two boys were uh, probably you know, seven five and they were just kind of getting into hockey so the transition was pretty good um you know the nhl um alumni uh, they help out with a lot of things um players that struggle we do things all the time um and again it's it's a sad situation sometimes it's, it's out, of the, out of your hands and you don't know where to go um i think the you know for me it was just I just need a bit of time off. I still worked with the leases, a little bit of management. Um, but in, in reality, I kind of took a couple of years off, a year off, and, and worked a lot of charity stuff. I used to have a uh, bowling tournament in Toronto called Dougie Ball, and Jim Cuddy was a part of it. We had, we had uh, 40 celebrities to that, and every year we raised over 100-something grand. So wow. um, a, a lot of different things that kept me busy. Uh, did you miss hockey? 100%. You missed it. I missed it. It doesn't matter how long you play. It's part of your blood. And and then, um, again, I just spent a, a, a lot of time with uh, you know, ex-teammates and doing charity stuff, which kind of kept me busy. And then I had my two boys starting to play hockey. So, 
Um, it was it was a lot of fun, and it's, it's 17 years now that uh, I've been retired and uh, coming up to it, anyways. And it's uh, something that obviously missed the game, and and uh, again, I'm, I'm still a part of it on just as an ambassador side. But it's uh, it's uh, something that I'll never forget. I wish every kid had the opportunity to to uh, play in uh, my shoes. <laughs> well. I mean, you were uh, extremely fortunate, but Doug, you know, you never had anything handed to you. You weren't a first rounder. You weren't even a second rounder. Uh, you were taken uh, way, way, way later uh, in the draft, uh, I believe in the seventh round. Um, so as, as a player, I know that uh, you don't always get that, um, you know, that, that first crack that, that yeah. those guys get, right? And even though you had that incredible season, um, you know, in the OHL, uh, just insane, insane um, numbers. So, for anybody that doesn't know, um, Doug Gilmore only played 135 games in the OHL. Um, that's only because he was so good he went to the NHL <laughs> and turned pro as a teenager. But in 135 games in Major Junior, Doug, uh, you recorded 116 goals, 180 assists, and that's 296 points for uh, a 2.19 points per game average. That's like filthy, like that. Yeah. Like, and then I was reading in your book, Doug, too. Right? You said, you know, that you were a defenseman. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I obviously uh, getting drafted to junior. Um, I was playing junior B in Kingston and I wasn't playing much so I was going to go back to Major Midget and Larry Mabby that uh, with the Belleville Bulls Tier 2 which was up a level from uh, the Voyagers in Kingston they brought me in for a tryout and I made it and so ended up getting drafted to Cornwall and pretty, I jumped on the scale and I was 100 like 38 pounds or 140 pounds and the scout that drafted me Gordy Wood he said I'm looking at you as a centerman. Okay, when you on defense, you see the ice and you go with the puck. So that's where you're going to be. And Cornwall just came off of winning the Memorial Cup that year, and they were losing Danny Dow, uh, Newell Brown. So when I got drafted and I moved up the center, I played uh, third line. Um, I think I played eight games, and then I got cross-checked in the net and uh, screwed me, broke my collarbone, so I was out for a couple months, and it was. Uh, it was a transition though it wasn't that hard for me um, and it gave me the opportunity to you know learn under Dale Howard Chuck and Scott O'Neill and it uh, it was just timing was perfect for me there and I know it was in the Quebec League for my first year and we did win the World Cup but um, you know when you lace your skates up and you put your helmet on you don't think you're small that was my attitude I felt I was the same size as everybody else I know not the fighters or, or uh, you know, guys that are 230 pounds or something, but it just, when I got on the ice, I, I had to be careful. I had to have, have my head up. I always tell kids, if you're a smaller player and you have to puck on the boards, be really close to the boards because if it's somebody's going to hit you, you're going to go on the boards two inches away and you're going to bounce off the glass and push them back and then you still have control of the puck. So there's a lot of things you can learn from watching, from me, I watched NHL all the time and how guys played and, and you know, try to emulate uh, what Gretzky could do, what certain parts of what Messier could do. So 
it was uh, it was uh, some of the transition again. Like you said, it wasn't that hard. Well, you know, I think you know. I was thinking about it, and you know, I really um, we always wish I had an older brother. Uh, you spoke about Dave, and in your book, you talk about it a lot uh, about being able to uh, you know not make the same mistakes that he made because obviously. Uh, in life, everybody has that, oh, what have, should have, I should have done this, or if I would have known this, yeah. or, you know, um, but it seems almost as if uh, you were able to see um, directly what your brother's uh, successes and failures were, and then on top of that, uh, he was able to recognize it getting older, and then, you know, coaching you along, that must have been a great help. Uh, there's a great story, actually, about uh, when he decided to leave pro hockey um, in the book, and... Yeah, he... I was at Maple Leaf Gardens, um, and my brother had a trial with the Calgary Cowboys, and um, or it might have been early in the season against Toronto Toros, and so that was kind of my first time in Maple Leaf Gardens, and sitting up, you know, two hundred rows up, and we're sitting there, and I watch him warm up, and then after warm up, not long after, he taps us on the shoulder. My dad said, "I'm done," and uh, he packed up and went home, and um, went to. Uh, Millhaven Penitentiary as um, a sports guard, so he ran all the sports in there, and, and that's where that, uh, in the book, that I talked about going into the prison, uh, Millhaven at 17, um, to play baseball games uh, against the, the inmates, and uh, it, it, it was fun, it was an eye-opening experience too, as you know, so, but yeah, I was very fortunate that I had my brother there as well. Yeah, I mean, must have been really neat uh, to be able to watch your older brother, you know, play in the ranks of junior and pro and be able to look up to him. Uh, obviously, you guys have been, remained great friends and, and you remained very, very, very close with your family. Um, you spoke how you guys uh, actually played. You actually played in the Quebec Major League uh, your first year because um, Cornwall was part of the Q uh, and then they moved uh, over to the O. But I didn't know this before reading your book. And actually, uh, you were part of the Cornwall team that was the last uh, CHL team to win the Memorial Cup and then represent Canada uh, at the World Juniors. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. They, uh, we picked up uh, three forwards and uh, two defensemen um, and a goalie to go over as the World Juniors. And that's the last time they ever did that because um, we could not compete at that level. Uh, as just a, a team, so I went from third line to fourth line, and we were in. Uh, it was in uh, Landsberg, Germany, where we were staying, and it, it, it was a lot of fun. But pretty much, uh, I was sitting on the bench the whole time. But it, it was a great experience, you know, like USA team. They did. They had some good stars: Bobby Carpenter, Craig Ludwig, etc. And they were, I think, second or third last. So. Um, yeah, that's when Hockey Canada got together and said, no, we're going to put an all-star team together to go against the, the European team. So, but again, it was a great experience for me. And, and uh, um, my last year, uh, junior, we had tryouts at Maple Leaf Gardens. And I, you know, pretty much had the team picked and I was having a good year. So they brought me in for the skate and I didn't make the team. So, um, but it, again, when you, when my brother didn't, absorb criticism where I they taught me like absorb it don't argue with it and and that's what I did so 
anytime there's a little setback, uh, Dave King was a coach and they cut me in. I said, I got back to junior and kept my scoring streak together. I said, you know what, I'm going to prove all these, all these guys wrong. And, and again, the media said I was too small, the scouts said I was too small. So every day it's like, okay, I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, you mentioned in the book, it was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fairly, uh, fairly, uh, sure, uh, that's exactly what happened, <laughs> uh, that they already had the pick or the team picked, um, yeah. prior to going in there. Um, they often do, I believe, but, uh, I know it yeah, was, well, I, I asked for my passport back, um, when I got cut in the morning and I said, well, your passport's, uh, um, it's in Ottawa. <laughs> so, uh, I wasn't going on a flight no matter what anyway. So, uh, yeah, that's, I knew right then and there. So I wanted to say when they brought me in, um, as far as the company, we, when you get called in like that, you know you're going to get cut. I wanted to say to Dave Ping, I said, okay, I know, I know. Thank you very much. You want to make me captain. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But, yeah, so I just, again, another notch in the belt that you say, okay, you know, a little setback, let's move ahead. Yeah, well, you mentioned, you know, people listening, you're like, you said you were on the third or fourth line, but you were also only 16 years old. So, um, I mean, that's pretty much a given at that time. Uh, obviously, it was such a neat experience. Uh, you tore up uh, the OHL once you guys moved from the Q to the O. Um, but still, uh, there were still talks that, you know, maybe Doug Gilmore's too small. And... I mean, you really silenced the critics um, pretty much instantly. Uh, you found pretty much instant success in St. Louis. Uh, what was that experience like breaking into the league as a young guy back then? Because the league was a lot tougher. Uh, you were obviously uh, on the smaller side. I mean, now you would be built for today's game. But uh, back then, were you intimidated? Was it scary? Were you confident? How was your headspace? Well, I got drafted my second year, and that was in St. Louis in the seventh round, and so I went to training camp, and then, um, you know, I had a little chip on my shoulder because some of my teammates, uh, Jim Kite won the first round in Winnipeg, and uh, Brent Loney, he went third round to Hartford or Philly, I'm not sure which one it was, but, um, you know, when you see your teammates go ahead of you, it's like a little frustrating, disappointing, so and other players you play against in the league. So you want to prove them wrong. And my last year, I, I was, you know, I, I don't know, two games into it, three games into it, I got in a fight with Mike Eagles. And uh, I'm a lefty, and he's a lefty, but I didn't know that. And <laughs> cracked my nose and cheekbone. And as soon as that happened, I got rid of the chip on my shoulder about the draft and just go play hockey. And, and then everything kind of came together. So going to St. Louis, uh, we were in that summer after my last year junior, um, just you know coming into being 20 years old and going to camp. And Jacques Demers came in as the coach. Uh, uh, Ralston Perina, they sold the team to Harry Arnest. And, but that wasn't until the uh, third week of August. So I went over to Dusseldorf and started practicing over there. Um, so I I had a job if I if I wanted to stay, and then. My agent, Larry Kelly, for 20 years, uh, just said to me, no, get back home. Yeah, St. Louis is going uh, to have new ownership. And so, again, when I got to training camp, we had um, Bernie Federico, 
uh, Guy Schwenard, Blake Dunlop, Larry Patey, uh, uh, Al Lemieux, uh, Mario's brother, uh, and Mike Zook. So they had a lot of sentiment, but they're all kind of around the same age, and it was it was things were changing. And Jacques Demers just said to me, "Can you check?" I said, "Well, you know, you, my contract it was twenty four thousand in the minors." and uh, 65 Pro. And it's like that time I said, yeah, I'll check, I'll do whatever it takes. And <laughs> thank you for the learning experience because I got to play against Gretzky, all the top players, Marcel Guillaume, um, every Denny Savard, every top centerman I had the opportunity to play against and, and, and really learn from them. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I just was, yeah, like, that must have been, you must have been up for the challenge, though, obviously, for them to put you in that position. You must have taken a lot of pride in that. I know for me, personally, I never took pride in my defensive play, and I'm now looking back, it's like, man, I wish I did. Like, I feel like I could, yeah. you, you know what I mean? And I just, you just get older and you think differently, and I think that everyone can, uh, can understand that. Uh, but, you know, having the experience to play defense growing up, I think that must have helped you, too. Like, now I'm sitting here thinking, like, Big you time. know, I think all kids, you know, you're playing more. Uh, there's only a four or six D on a team where you might have four lines up front. Like, par parents listening, like, that might be the best way to go. Do you agree with that? Well, sometimes it is. Like, back in our day, you're right. There's four or five defense. That's all you had. And you have three lines and an extra forward. So you're pretty much out every second shift. And now they have six D, but it's like you're out there every third shift. So, yeah, I played a lot. And it obviously helped when I had to transition to play more defensively. You know, they put me with like penalty killing. I took penalties, Pat Hickey, which was uh, obviously, a, he was a good defensive player. And uh, Brian Sutter was a, my roommate that uh, taught me how to focus and compete each and every night. Um, yeah, Bernie Federico taught me, you know, once when my time would come, what to do. And, and again, I, I played um, like as far as power play. I, I didn't play power play for three years, but I had the opportunity to uh, just you know learn from these guys and, and watch. And my biggest thing, my biggest thing was when you're on the bench, you got to watch the other players you're playing against. That's the most important thing to me yeah. to learn from all these other guys and. For me too, um, like defense, who I'm playing against. So I'm not, I'm not worried about which forward I'm playing against. I'm worried about the defense I'm playing against because of my size. There's going to be guys out there to run you. There's going to be guys out there to take your head off, and it's all different. So that's what my preparation was before games, knowing who is on the other side that uh, is coming at me. Well, yeah, and back then it must have been even harder because now there's uh, the media packages are so much better. Uh, there's YouTube. Um, there's highlights of every goal and everything right there on your phone. It, you know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's so much easier to do scouting reports on players. But um, I can imagine that uh, you uh, would think about the game a lot um, and, you know, your preparation. Yeah. You learned how to be a pro is basically what you're saying uh, in St. Louis from a lot of great guys. 100%. And like we didn't, we didn't watch video my first three years. We, uh, when Jacques Demers left and Jacques Martin came in my fourth year, he started to bring in some videos and, and watch. We never did that before. 
we never really watched videos. We just had uh, paperwork that's up on the board, go read, this is their power play, this is their penalty killing, this is this, this is that. And it was something that, uh, um, you know, you pay attention to. But, you know, usually you, back in those days too, I was in the North Division, which was kind of like the Chuck Norris Division. Yeah. Um, it, it was uh, it was crazy. And, but, you know, what you, you were taught a long time before about um, respect. Um, do not do that. Do not do this. And it, it, it went a long way because, you know, in those days, it was going to be, a, you know, like a bench center brawl or what you know, so um, if you did something wrong or stuff five on five, and if he really respected your opponents, where it's a little bit different now that you know you can chirp at anybody, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I I'm not sure I like that part of the game. Uh, I've talked about it on a few different podcasts about concussions and about fighting, yep. and there's different views on it. Um, I'm the old school type, you know, I've, you know, I'm going to be honest, I've said it before, so there's like a class action lawsuit against the CHL uh, for concussions and, um, you know, I put my name on the list not to try to get money and I wouldn't even accept money, but I just wanted to get information. Um, basically, I'm not looking for any money. Basically, what I want is change for the future for future generations. I can deal. Yeah. I can deal with the things on my with myself for the rest of my life. But let's make the let's make the world a better place. And let's if there's better science, better technology, uh, more information out there, then our, isn't it our responsibility to change with that? hundred percent it is. And, and I I've learned that from you know the days I probably had two concussions in junior, um, probably. 10 all together and uh, two of those were from a car accident um, again it's just something that happens And uh, but in our days you know you take an aspirin and you go back and play so um, you didn't really know you knew you had a concussion but like I had a car accident in St. Louis where um, I hit the window we didn't wear seatbelts and so I cracked the window and uh, next day, Doc Martinez said, I can't come to practice. My, my head sore, my lips sore, I hit the steering wheel. And he didn't believe me, so he came over, then he saw my face, and he says, okay, yeah, take the day off. And two days later, we're playing a game, and I was playing with Todd Ewan and Tony Herkus. And I told those guys, I was playing left wing, and I, I said, do not pass me the puck. <laughs> and I just went up and down the rink, and then finally, um, our GM, Ron Caron, said, I'm going to get him checked out after playing for two weeks. And I had a bruised brain. And if I would have been hit, I was probably gone. So it, uh, it's scary times. And my 11 years in junior, I saw it. And we don't, you don't take a chance on kids. Um, we had this one kid that had a concussion, um, <clears throat> sat for, I'd say, two weeks, three weeks, doctors let him play. Uh, came out to practice, Buck ran around, around the boards, hit him in the back of the head, he was done forever. So it was just something I said, you can't take the chance, kid. You, you, you know, you got school, you got your whole life in front of you. Um, it's just the way it is. You look at uh, the Lindros kids, look how big they are. And they're acceptable to, you know, concussions too. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good thing that for a change because it's very, very important. 
Well, you mentioned you were playing with Todd Ewan, and obviously that's an extremely sad story. Um, yeah. I've seen the mini documentary with his wife Kelly, and um, you know he was a uh, one of the toughest, and you know fought all the toughest toughest guys, you know, and you know he suffered from CTE, and you know. Yeah. Well, again, you look at what those guys put themselves through uh, night before. Who they're playing against next? And they know what they got to do, and that's not a fun thing to do. Um, it's like you respect him dearly. Uh, he was a great guy, but, but yeah, you're right. And I know Kelly. It's uh, it's really really sad because you know it, it affects your family. It obviously affects Todd, but um, things happen that you don't expect to happen, and, and he's one of them. Yeah, it's just, and that's the thing, there's been so many, uh, and you hear about the guys in the NHL, Doug, but there's actually a lot of these guys um, that the same thing happened to in minor pro or guys that play junior, and that's really why uh, we're going forward with the Puck Support Foundation. Um, but, you know, again, uh, as a hockey player, I also knew the risks, and uh, I like that was part of the thrill of the game and what drew me to the game almost. Like, we're skating around with knives on our feet, going... 40 kilometers an hour or whatever, and uh, in a, in, it's the only sport that's in really, besides fighting, uh, that you can't run away. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? So, yeah. and it's yeah, uh, it. it's pretty violent, and it can, like you said, those guys that were fighting, the, the anxiety that they would feel. I fought a lot too in junior, and like, the, I would have anxiety, and I wasn't like a heavyweight or anything, but, so I can imagine like guys like Probert, and Ewan, and Belak, and Rippin, and all these guys, um, just the yeah. effects on their mental health. It, it's such a it's such a difficult job, and you can attest that. Like, can you just talk a little bit about like how hard it really is to be just a professional hockey player? Like, people only see the games and the score and the goals and the crowds and the the you know. Yeah, sure, you make a lot of money in the NHL. You got the nice things, but like, it is a grind on you and the family. Can we just talk about it a little bit, if you if you don't mind? Yeah, well, I played in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, so obviously there's a big changeover towards the end. Um, we we didn't really charter, uh, even in Chicago when I was there in 1999, we did not charter too much unless it's back-to-back games or whatever. So it was commercial flights for the most part until after 9-11 happened. And um, it's one of those things that it's, uh, you know, you're, you're on the road, which is good to get to know your teammates, but you're away from your family. Um, you know, you, you've got guys that are playing, you've got guys that aren't playing, uh, you got to treat everybody the same. And um, it's, you know, that's, as you know, that's your family uh, when you're not with your normal family. It's, you, those guys, are you're going to win with them, you're going to fight with them, you're going to stick up for them, and you guys are going to win together and lose together. So, it's uh, it's your family in there. It's a uh, it's a it's a hard process sometimes, and it's uh, you know to be on the road and you know for me towards you know, in the nineties uh, I guess it's like every building I went into every time I touched a puck it was like boo and it's like huh. that's a, that's a good thing though absolutely it is right and it's it's something that uh, you know my experience I. I Say to people, I don't have regrets, you know, because I played with some teams. Uh, I got traded. I signed as free agent a couple times, but 
it's something it's a great you know the friendships along the way and um i i can't say enough uh about my teammates and you know coaches and trainers and all that stuff so it's uh it's something that again i i wish everybody could you know have the opportunity to as you know going out doesn't matter if it's junior or it's pro but as soon as you step on that ice and uh the uh, puck's going to get ready to drop and you're going to go, okay, here we go. And the excitement's there. And then there's, you know, mixed emotions on the way. Sometimes, you know, when there's pressure towns, whether it's Calgary, whether it's not St. Louis, but uh, Toronto, um, Montreal, the media's all over there. And you've got to absorb that as well. And I think the biggest thing is, is, you know what, as, assistant captain or whatever you are uh, you really you try to understand and, and follow the people that were in front of you and that was work ethic and practice that will carry over to a game I know we can't do it every practice but for the most part that's where I had success because you try to learn and practice you try to work hard and then a lot of times it's a good carryover well, you didn't really have much of a choice when you played for Pat Burns, is my understanding. But before we get into that, um, I just forgot to mention uh, about your your small little uh, record that you set in the OHL. I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal. You only uh, recorded a point in 57 straight games. Um, yeah. What well, the hell? I was like, is this a typo? It, it just, I don't know how that happened, but... I, I started to get the notice at around the 30-game mark, and there was a minute to go in the game, and I'm on the ice, and I'm exhausted, so I come off, and then somebody changes 30 seconds later, I'm back out there, and I get a breakaway, and I score with 10 seconds to go. Wow. So it was just one of those things that it happened. Um, as it prolonged, yeah, it, uh, it, it was a fun little ride. Um, you know, I, I can't say, I don't remember all of it, obviously, but... It, uh, it was a slow, slow thing, and I played on my right wing. I had a guy named Ian McGinnis, and he grew up in Kingston as well. And in minor hockey, I always played up a year until I got to major midget, and or sorry, minor midget. I had to stay minor midget, couldn't go to major midget. But it, uh, it really, I don't know. It just it, ha- it happened, and it was it was a fun ride. But my teammates were good. Um, our, our line that year, with my 177 points, uh, <laughs> Guinness had probably 140, uh, Driscoll had probably 130, so we lit it up. And I felt, I tell the story in there, I felt bad for Kirk Muller. We played against Guelph, an expansion team, and the three games we played them, um, I think I had 20 points. <laughs> and I didn't even play the third period half the time. Yeah. That's how bad they were. And, and that was Kirk's uh, you know, kind of draft year. He, he played as an underage, but then he got drafted to Guelph. And I, I really felt bad because we were it was playing like uh, against five year old kids. Sometimes it was just it was too bad. But so that's where I, that's where I picked up a lot of points. Just <laughs> those three games. Well, that's still only three games. What about the other fifty three, Doug? <laughs> yeah, I know. So, or, or 54, because it was a 57-game point streak. Uh, you beat the old record of 52. 
you finished with 70 goals and 107 assists and 177 points in that year. You led the OHL in scoring. You got the most outstanding player. Um, then, you know, you went to the Blues. Before we get in and talk about, you know, your really time in the NHL, uh, I wanted to talk about a story in the book about uh, the year after you were drafted by the Blues. They, that's when you, you mentioned that they were going through a, an ownership change. They actually didn't even select anybody in the 83 entry draft. Yeah, so um, the year before that, they traded for Rob Ramage. And so for two years in a row, they didn't have a first, second, or a fourth. And <laughs> so go, going into my year, um, again, I was, they say I was fourth overall on the team, but I was, I was seventh round. And so the next year, Ralston Perina said they couldn't sell a team. So we're, I'm in Montreal. So they didn't have a first, second, or fourth again. And so uh, Ross Prina said to the scouts, you're not drafting one guy. So there's seven other guys that they could have drafted and could have been like me and uh, a late bloomer. And boom, they didn't draft one guy. Again, it, it just, it was crazy. But it was, I, I looked at it for myself. It's like, okay, it's kind of timing. I'm, I'm getting stepped in, new ownership now. Um, here's the draft picks. I have a good chance. So, Again, I, I, I didn't think I was going to make it my first year the way they uh, spoke to me in training camp um, and before training camp. And cause I just signed uh, with St. Louis before camp opened. And I said, we want you to you know, learn the game and everything else. And I got in there. And again, Jock Demers gave me a little opportunity to let's see how you can check. So I went out and... Uh, in those days, our training camp was about two and a half weeks long before our first game. We'd do twice, two days. Yeah. And then we'd get into the exhibition games, and, and that's where I tried to pick my game up for, uh, for the scouting staff and the coaches to see that uh, I had a chance to make it. Yeah, well, you know, you broke in the league. You never played a game uh, anywhere but the NHL, except for your time over in Dusseldorf uh, during the uh, lockout, I believe. Uh, as in Rappersville. Oh, was it? Rattersville, okay. But you had a, a yeah. pretty crazy experience over there in the book, uh, you know, bringing you out. I played over in Europe too, so I can, I know the atmosphere is completely different. Uh, oh, my but... God. <laughs> it, it was hilarious. Dusseldorf was right before I signed with St. Louis. So, And then um, Rattersville, though, in 95 lockout, I went over for, I think, six weeks. I think we played 12 games in those six weeks. Um, it was just a, it was just different. Like uh, you talk about the referee and then, and you know uh, it doesn't matter. They can dive on you. They can hook you. It's yeah. Like they're not calling anything against. They say you do one thing wrong and you're in the, in the box. So it it took me a couple of games to try to you know figure out okay how these guys play and it, and when my first practice there these guys were flying and again I haven't been on the ice since. Uh, training camp in September and it's like okay I gotta pick this up quick and a couple days later we play in a game and all of a sudden they're not flying um, they just didn't know exactly how to play the game properly so they you know it was it was different from just you know kind of pawn hockey to always obviously going in, in a real pro game situation so it, it was it was a lot of fun though honestly what uh, the fun things that they tried to do and um you know, cutting uh, guys' soup coats and everything else. So I, 
I really enjoyed the six weeks that I was there. If the, if the lockout was going to go on, I wasn't going to go back. I was going to shut it down because there was just it was too much. Uh, I, I still it was only 1995, and it, if I if the team, they said the whole year that let's get ready for the next year. But yeah. it was a, a great experience, and I still got the friendship from people over there. Oh, that's great. I you know you mentioned uh, cutting the suit coats. It's very. Uh well, put in your book that you were uh, a known prankster. Uh, so many players are. It's part of it's part of the fun, the fun atmosphere of being a hockey player, being on the team. But uh, it sounds like you really enjoyed uh, some of these pranks. And one that really made me laugh was, and it, this one's not even so much a prank because I used to do it too. Is just shooting pucks at guys' skates in practice when they're not looking. And you got Doug McLean with a beauty of a one, and I had him on the podcast. He was one of my first big names on the podcast, and. Uh, you know, so I, you know, I owe a lot to him for coming on early on. But when I read that, you know, I read the book after uh, I had him on. So, uh, you know, I, well, I, I laughed. Well, I had, I had Dougie my first year in St. Louis, so I know exactly what you're talking about. And for him, uh, he would sit beside me every meeting. Not, not my first year, Louis, my fourth year. He was Jacques Martin, and so he, he sat beside me, and uh, I put, I used friction tape, um, so it, it wasn't. Because I liked it, because it, it was sticky. So when I hook people, it's not going out their pants. Yeah. Um, so I put some baby powder on to soften it up a little bit. But he was great. So every time we go out, he had baby powder all over his back or his his, <laughs> uh, his pants, and it, it just he was he was a great man. I, I love Doug to this day. So um, yeah, there's so many different ones because yeah, it was. It was kind of a mental thing that you you had to have a laugh because there's so much pressure sometimes, yeah. and you didn't do you didn't do anything to hurt anybody. Like I never cut ties or sauce or any or soup coats or any of that stuff. But uh, a lot of other things, yeah, you know, you know, little box machines put your hand in, so that'd be a plain donut dipped in there, and <laughs> then jelly a jelly donut that put Vaseline on the inside. Yeah, I read so, that one. The one, the one guy that got me pretty good, and I think they nailed my boots to the, uh, the bench, right? The, the old story. And so back in the days, your car keys, it's just a car key. So I took this car key and took it to the skate grinder. He had to call a tow truck. There's nothing wrong with his car, but the key wasn't working. Oh, I would pay to see that. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> You had so many great memories, uh, obviously playing, you won a Canada Cup. I, I know that, uh, you know, you mentioned in the book that you weren't a, you didn't feel like you were a huge part of that team, but I think you were more part of that team than what you're giving yourself credit for. Because I'm, you know, I've watched a lot of those videos. You scored, uh, you scored some big points uh, during that tournament, um, you know, and getting to play alongside Mario and, and Wayne. Uh, how good were those two guys really? You know what, it's something that, you don't know how fast Wayne is. I did. I played against him, but when you practice with him, um, when we would pull the nets up a little bit, and we had to do two minutes one way and two minutes the other way. Um, he once he cut around the net, he was gone. And like, we had skaters there: Glenn Anderson, Paul Coffey, Mike Gardner. Uh, the list goes on. And Gretz was the leader of the pack the whole time. And I was just—I was an odd one. Holy wow. crap! No wonder why this guy's so good because he can get away from people. So, um, yeah, it was it was so much fun. 
concussions and uh, got a goal in the second game. And it was uh, it was really again the third game. I, I didn't play as much, but it uh, it was amazing. Um, I was the last cut, and I between Dave Poulin and I, and and then Mike Keen is the coach, and he's also the captain of Philadelphia Flyers, Flyers uh, Dave Poulin. So I didn't really think I had a chance, and. I think Gretzen, Ness, and all those guys said, no, we need Doug. And that's where the decision was made. So wow. I always, always thank them for giving me that opportunity. Yeah, I actually, I, you know, I spoke to uh, my girlfriend's dad about it uh, the other night. Um, mentioned that story about how bizarre it is that uh, Keenan cut Poulin, his own captain, from his own NHL club uh, to give yeah. him that, sh- that spot. Um, that what a hard decision that must have been for him. Like, cause you have to go back and you know coach him. And but I mean, at the end of the day, you're making the best decision uh, for the hockey club, and they did. And and I mean, listen, if Gretzky and Messin and me and those guys are pulling for you, like what the, what an honor, right? Like that, exactly. that must have been really and, cool. And, and they have you know the management side too that pick the team, and and you know obviously your coaches don't pick all the guys, and so it was uh, yeah, it was something that. It, it's amazing how fast that series was because when I got when I was done and I, I went back to St. Louis, I felt like I was three steps ahead of everybody. It was just it was like surreal. And then you know you slowly go back to your own pace, but it uh, that that team was good, the Russian team and uh, obviously the Canadian team. We won it, but every game six five and it was a battle. Yeah, for sure. It uh, you know I watched. Uh, watched all those games, obviously replays of those games because I was just like born. But you know, my dad had all those videos growing up. I'm very familiar with that series. It was kind of you know one of the ones that we would watch all the time. Um, yeah, just uh, what a cool experience. I know you gave your jersey to the Hockey Hall of Fame from that one, so that's awesome. Uh, I mean, obviously you're a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame. We'll talk about that. But you went from uh, St. Louis. Um, uh, you went from St. Louis to Calgary, right, Doug? Yes. Yeah. And there was, uh, you know, this couple of teammates already there. Like, there was Joey Mullen, Rob Ramage, Rick Wamsley, um, and Mark Hunter and I. So there was, there was five of us from St. Louis that uh, played together years before. So it was nice to go into a team that you know the teammates as well. Oh, for sure. That definitely helps. And you guys had tremendous success there, and you were able to win a Stanley Cup, uh, obviously, with Lanny McDonald. Uh, that must have been so cool because you see that on TV still to this day, right? Like uh, that. Well, went... and, it, and that's the thing too. Like I've never seen these games before. I've, I've never watched. Like yeah, the only thing I've ever seen before is the high stick from Gretz, right? Yeah. <laughs> but when I when I go back to watch that game six, it's not, I'm not even pissed off at the high stick. That referee was so bad that whole game. <laughs> it's just like I was sitting there going, "No way." No way. It's like, again, I don't remember all the calls and the stuff that happened. It's something that, uh, yeah, it's crazy. But being a part of that Calgary team, winning the President's Trophy, and, and uh, there's there was so much skill there. Um, anyway, we lost Gary Suter with a broken jaw. And our our fourth-line center came in to play defense on the power play, Theo Fleury. And it was just an amazing team on it. It really was. You know, you, you look back at it again when we won the Cup, we didn't have our two assistant captains in there. Kaplinski and Tim Hunter, they, they sat out that game and Lanny came back in, Yuri Gardina 
So it, uh, it was uh, it was fun to watch. Like, and I got my obviously with the COVID here, I, I've got my uh, two boys with me, 23 and 21, and um, they're laughing. They're going, Dad, what, like, what are the rules? And I'm going, you know, I, I don't know. Just don't do something on a breakaway. Uh, don't high stick. But beyond that, you do whatever you want. So, and water skiing. You're water skiing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's uh, the way. Mark. Yeah, I so, know it. Go ahead, Through this whole process right now, the only, I'm the same as you. I'm sitting watching some of these classic games, and I, I laugh. I remember some. I, you know, I don't remember some. But it's just uh, what different times, so. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you found some success there in Calgary. You were able to win uh, the elusive Stanley Cup. That was fairly early on in your career. I mean, you played a lot. You that was uh, in the first half of your career for sure. Oh, and uh, yeah, that was my uh, sixth year in the league, and uh, kind of coming into my prime. It was, uh, it was good. Um, again. I looked at my line mates, uh, Joey Mullen, you know, he was plus 55 that year, I oh, think it was, and, uh, had 40 plus goals or 50 goals, and um, Neuendijk, Roberts, Hawk, and Lube, um, you know, there was, a, there was a lot of weapons out there. Yeah. You look at the GM of uh, Washington, Brian McClellan, was a big part of that, Mark Hunter, and, uh, guys that you might not think of, like Yuri Gardina, uh, Lanny scored a big goal, so... And our defense, our defense were big. They were fast, like meaning, sorry, not fast, but they were big. They moved the puck well. Like Al McGinnis was a stud. Um, but we had Dana Merzen, Rick Natchez, uh, Jamie McCowan. These were big boys back then. Oh yeah. And and uh, they played hard. No, I know. I know Merzen well from his time in Vancouver. He was a little bit older then, but he was always solid back then for sure. Uh, you moved on. Uh, from Calgary, kind of, uh, you know, not in under the best terms or so they put it. I mean, you basically, the story goes in the book that you overheard that they wanted to move you, uh, right? Yeah, I kind of knew, like, I did hear that they're going to move me, but I kind of knew something was going to happen anyways. Because I went to arbitration against Doug Risebrow that year, and Doug and I didn't see eye to eye as players. And then, so he had the upper hand as management, so he could kind of punish me a little bit. And, and uh, so, again, we felt we won in the arbitration. He felt he lost and um, decided he was going to build his own team. And, you know, when Cliff left uh, Calgary a year later, well, he knows all the guys he's getting. Um, so, you know, I, I felt bad for leaving the team. And then, but again, I knew I was being traded, so, you know, it's part of the. Uh, part of my career yeah I mean it's just part of the business and you know you're able to uh, come back home to Ontario uh, you know and get to play for the Leafs which must have been such a great great experience right off the hop we all know that you had a tremendous career there but um, you know getting to come back home Doug uh, there's a great story um, in the book about you know your first meeting with uh, Burnsy and, uh, you know, you thought you were just going to go for a meeting. You guys ended up going out for beers. How cool was that? Yeah, well, again, New Burnsy just from uh, the 89 playoffs when he was in Montreal. And uh, we didn't know each other, but uh, he came in and first thing he said, where are you? And I said, I'm 
Toronto. And he goes, okay, meet me down at the rink at, say, 1 o'clock. And we went to a, a little place that, <laughs> that the dancers were there. And we were there for about uh, an hour before people started recognizing us. And we got out of there and went for a bike to eat. And he just explained to me right off the hop, he goes, you're a best player. You better be the hardest working guy in practice. Um, you got to show leadership. Uh, don't be late for this. Um, I'm going to lose it sometimes. It might be on you too. Uh, and again, he just said, it made me a better player. I had to be that much more committed. And, um, you know, we had a lot of leadership on that team too. With uh, Obviously, Wendell. Um, on the, we had Mike Polino, Mike Kruselansky uh, on the back end. You know, again, we got, had Jamie McCallum back there, Bob Rouse. So there was a lot of big pieces that uh, really helped that team out. And yeah, we, you know, going into that 93 um, playoff run, it's like Detroit was favored. We got it. But we felt that we were just as good or, or, or better. And they had all the pressure on them. We didn't have it on us. Yeah, and oh, you there? I'm here. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I thought I lost you there for a second. Uh, you know, getting to play for the Leafs, I know there's a lot of pressure there. Uh, a friend of mine, Tyson Berry, uh, plays for the Leafs. Um, not yep. sure how much longer he's going to be there. I haven't spoke to Tyson for a number of years, um, but I can just see. And I also played with Luke Shen, who uh, got heckled by the media a lot in Toronto. Uh, it can be a, it can be a hard place to play. Uh, and you had your fair share of troubles here with uh, with the with the with a couple fans or incidents I want to talk about. But you also had tremendous success. You uh, smashed the point record. You had 127 points with the Leafs. Uh, you also um, had six assists in a game uh, and beat Babe Pratt's record, which is incredible. Or tied it, I should say. You didn't beat it. I believe you tied it. Tied it. Um, tied it. Yes. Yes. So that's you know just incredible. Like like. Wow, like it just, you know, every kid's dream, and then here you are in your home province playing for a, a original six club uh, with 127 points, and you have records in, you know, top 100, not even in the top 100. We're talking like, you might even be the best Maple Leaf of all time uh, to a lot of people, um, and it's just incredible. You had such a great career, um, and you were able to even come back to Toronto. I know when you left, uh, there were some things going on. You were actually getting threatened, and you had to get a police escort back and back and forth in the rink. I, do a lot of people know about that? Was that in the news at all? Um, yeah, it was. I didn't really tell too many people, but um, I got a letter and said that uh, on this day you're going to die. Wow. And so I went up to see Cliff, and we got the NHL security involved and gave them the letter and. So pretty much escorted uh, back and forth to home and didn't really go out anywhere. Um, and then it just stopped. So I don't know if they found somebody or uh, just maybe interviewed people and um, must have been the right person because uh, and it all stopped altogether. So yeah, it was kind of scary times for sure. But it's, it was such a fun place to play with Maple Leaf Gardens, the history of the building. and. Um, Again, I got nothing to say, but just great times. And yeah, you're going to go through ups and downs, but you know what? For the most part, um, I always say, you know, when you when you're going through tough times as a player, meaning you're struggling for ten games or whatever, 
that's when your teammates pick you up, and that's what kind of team that was. Yeah, you guys, you guys had a great, a great, great group of guys there. Funny story, you guys had Felix the Cat pop, and you even went to our punk concert with him, and you found him in the mosh pit and had to pull him out of that. I had a good laugh about that one. Uh, that cracked, yeah. that cracked me he up. Is, he, every Saturday, like Saturday night when we're home, once a month or twice a month, he and I sat beside each other and said, where are you going tonight? Because he knew where we were going, just PM Toronto's right across the street kind of thing. And um, he goes, oh, I'm going down to Queen Street West, or East, and it's a music hall. said, okay, maybe I'll go with you. He goes, yeah, that'd be great. So we lived in the same apartment building, um, a couple floors apart. And so he's got his leather coat on, jeans. I said, okay, I'll do the same. And we went into this place. And it wasn't punk rock, but it was kind of, in those days, like it was like a green day. And it, uh, you know, it, it was a fun place. But you know, just him and I grab a beer. And we're, we're only there probably for an hour because back in our days it was 8 o'clock games on Saturday nights and everything shut down at 1 o'clock so by the time we got there it's 12 o'clock so we're only going to be there for an hour so we order a beer next thing you know I look over I can't see okay maybe went to the bathroom then I look over the mosh pit and there he is uh, <laughs> and I'm going oh my god do not drop him whoever's got him so <laughs> yeah then I got him out of there right after that I said no no you not on my watch you're, you're going to do this with me <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Uh, you you had such a, a great relationship with uh, so many guys, Doug. Maybe none better than Don Cherry. Uh, there's a story I meant to bring up earlier about the, the cup run. Uh, you actually had a little superstition where you were shaking his hand and you had to find him before every game. Um, you know, and you guys yeah. won the cup that year. Uh, you can talk about that here in a sec, but... You, you know, you had such a great relationship with him. He, he always talked so highly about you. Um, and, I mean, nobody else, everybody had to talk highly of you because you're such a, a, you are such a great guy. You carried yourself so well on and off the ice. Uh, and you're, you were a superstar in the superstar era. Um, but, you know, he was always uh, one of your biggest fans. Uh, and this is, uh, you know, I've asked people this on, on before, and, you know, you could leave it because I know you're very involved in the hockey world, but I just will always, I will keep bringing it up because I can say whatever the hell I want without offending anybody. Um, I feel what happened with Don is extremely unfair, just like a lot of other people. At the same time, I understand it. But looking back, like, I'm the type of guy that goes back and does research and, like, tries to piece things together, and it's just how I am. Uh, I've gone back and I've found over like 25 things that he said worse than that um, over yep, the years. 100%. So that's where I have a, have a difficult time and I just feel like the world, really he was just trying to bring out the best in Canadians and for me, um, and to support us and support the people we should be supporting and that's the way he does it and I just, I'm just really, really disappointed in that whole situation. Yeah, again, if you look back and you people, he said that probably... 40 times in his career. Oh, yeah. And it's all, again, it was all about a poppy and just respect the country. And, yeah, it's too bad. But Grapes, uh, good friends of my parents growing up in Kingston. And I'll never forget, we're, uh, my fourth year, we're in Minnesota, first series, three out of five. And uh, so the game five was actually on TV, Hockey Night in Canada. And Grapes said to me, he goes, hey, you want your parents to see you do something tonight? So, it, uh, it worked out good. I had a goal and three assists, and we won the game and kind of moved on in the series. So mm -hmm. it was an 86. So, yeah. But, yeah, for 
the 89 playoff run, yeah, I had to shake his hand for every game. And sometimes I'm, I'm out there for, you know, five minutes to go uh, before the game starts. And he can't find him. And uh, finally he would come out and shake his hand. And it was my superstitious or superstition. Yeah. And uh, we won with it. So it's something that uh, I'll, I'll never forget. Yeah, there's just a couple more things uh, I'll say to you, Doug. I know I appreciate your time. I know you're really, really busy. Uh, if you just have like another five to seven minutes, that'd be great. Um, yeah. Uh, man, I, I read some funny stories. I just wanted to, uh, to read off a couple points uh, I thought was funny. There's a story in your book about uh, going to arbitration. And uh, I, you know, I never went through that, but people don't know arbitration you talked about earlier is when uh, you go and basically it's... Uh, your side, you versus the team, and if you think, you know, you and your agent are arguing that, you know, you're worth more, or you should be getting paid more than what your contract is, and based on evidence and other players and all this stuff, and now it's a lot easier, but back then it was harder, and you actually passed a note, um, because they said, uh, Pierre Turgeon is a better player than you, making less money, and uh, you sent past your uh, agent a note saying, yeah, if they think he's better than me, then why don't they tell him to trade for him? And I laughed so hard. Uh, I thought that was so great. That's exactly what I said. I you thought think he's better than trade one-on-one for him. Yeah. And that's it obviously thing. never happened. But I just, the other side of it is I looked at, uh, at the time, um, we got hockey cards all the time, right? So some we had to sign and everything else. And there's one hockey card I'm looking at other players. And that's Red Paul was the first one that um, pretty much said, "Okay, now we know what everybody's going to make here." And so I looked at uh, I looked at the hockey card, and it was Pat LaFontaine's numbers and what he was making. So that's we put that together. Um, he had a little bit more points than I did at the time, but pretty much everything was exactly the same. So yeah, we based it on that, and it was it was different uh, when I was in Calgary, the arbitrator, you know pretty much sitting with uh, the GM the uh, day before. It's like, it's really different. And, but my lawyer, Larry Kelly, again, he, uh, our agent, but slash lawyer, we could, we could get affidavits from other players why I deserve this. And, um, and then the next time we went to arbitration, it was in Jersey uh, with Lou. And Lou was good. Like, he goes, don't listen to anything what's going to happen here. <laughs> yeah, right. So, but, you know, they're trying to do what's right for the team as well. And, um, it, uh, you know, it was good. I, I got a little bonus for one year that I was a free agent. So it, uh, it was something that there's one gentleman that, uh, obviously Cliff, I respect him dearly. And, but, uh, Lou Lamarello was great to me and, uh, just a, he's such a good hockey man and, uh, something I'll never forget. For sure, you had so many great experiences, like I said, uh, so many accomplishments, Doug. Um, I don't know which one really is uh, maybe uh, the biggest one, uh, most important or best memory for you. Uh, CHL Memorial Cup, OHL First Team All-Star, OHL Most Points, um, that's the Eddie Powers Trophy, NHL Playoffs Most Points, Canada Cup Champ, NHL Stanley Cup Champ. You also scored the NHL Stanley Cup Clinching Goal. Uh, NHL playoffs most assists with 25 in 92-93. Uh, you also won the Selkie Trophy for top defensive forward, which is just maybe um, one of the most underrated awards in my opinion. Uh, 2009, uh, you were named uh, to the OMHA all-time great team as a forward too, which is really cool. Um, and then 
Uh, obviously, in 2011, you were inducted into the Sports Hall of Fame in Ontario, uh, but more importantly, uh, the hockey—or was it Canada? But Hockey Hall of Fame uh, in 2011 uh, with Joe Newendike, Ed Belfour, and Mark Howe. Uh, talk just a little bit about that before I let you go, because that uh, must—was that the, the moment when you maybe let it all sink in? Uh, what you had really accomplished, Doug? You know, Bree, we don't play this game to go to the Hockey Hall of Fame. We play the game to win. Um, it's your career. And when it's all over, it's a great accomplishment. But I, not one time that I ever think, okay, I've got to do well to get the Hockey Hall of Fame. That's not where your head's at. So there's so many special moments, um, you know, just from junior, um, like you said, all the way up. And um, everybody asks me this question sometimes, and with the wraparound goal, Stanley Cup winning goal, well, they're all big. But the one thing that, to me, was one of my big, biggest accomplishments, like in my eyes, was my first game I ever played in the National Hockey League. It just felt like I was on a, a 40 game. After after 40 games, I was on a one win contract. So that first game, I didn't I didn't uh, record my first goal until 10 games into it. But again, I was checking and stuff, and I had great opportunities. But it, to me, it's always something like that. It's like should have that opportunity just you know to go and play and it was surreal to me but all the other stuff they're all up there and um, again I always go back to it I think my training staff my coaches management and uh, obviously last but not least is uh, my teammates yeah I mean we're, we're really nowhere without them and uh, I've been fortunate to uh, as well as to have some great ones I know you've probably maintained a lot of great friendships um, that moment when you were inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, I know your dad was there. Um, you were able to uh, spend a lot of great years with him before he passed away, uh, you know, up on the cottage, uh, fishing, uh, bass fishing. And, uh, you know, that's really what I'm focusing on now in my life is I'm on the ATV every day. Uh, there's a bass lake. I'm looking at it right now. There's, as you can see the dock of my girlfriend's family's property. It's, uh, you know, I'm very lucky, um, but you know, you were able to spend some time with your dad, um, and you said in the book that you wouldn't trade that for anything. Um, and yeah, then, I was I was working with the Toronto Marlies as an assistant coach. I uh, I, was, I went from player development to that, and I felt I'd be better to learn the coaching side than just the player development. And so I wanted to challenge it, and so I went to the minors and. American League team, and um, a month and a half into the season, I get a call from Kingston and to be the head coach. And um, again, it's like I'm sitting there going, "Okay, probably not the best move, but I'm going home to see my mom and dad and my family." And so again, I had a good seven years with dad before he passed on. And um, you know, my dad would call me after every game or when I was in Toronto. He would always tell me what I did, right or wrong, and just like a dad would, right? Hmm. And then, uh, so I got back to Kingston, and he's telling me what I'm doing wrong as a coach, and I love it, <laughs> so I, I miss it. And, yeah. but, you know, <laughs> my family's, my mom's name's Joan, but they call her Dolly, so it's Don, Dolly, David, Debbie, Donna, and Doug. Yeah. So I always, I always, when dad would start talking to me too much about the game, uh, that's what, I didn't call him dad anymore. I called him Don. He knew it was time to, okay, I'll stop. <laughs> so, one of the funniest things was, 
I had a, a wine fridge that they took care of my, I was only four doors down from my parents. So uh, when I played my dog game, uh, the least bought me and the players uh, all some really nice uh, red wine and uh, white wine. So I started all the cottage and uh, so I left and I said, Dad, start from the top, do not go down the bottom. Well, I get home and all the bottom's gone. <laughs> and he's like, I, you told me to start from the bottom. I said, no, I did not. So that's when I stopped being a wine collector. <laughs> 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 and he, awesome. he says to me, he goes, I still got the bottles. I said, I'm making my own wine. I said, I'll give you the bottles back. I said, sure, that's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, actually, I'll be honest. Uh, when I was reading, uh, I was reading your book, um, I actually... I actually started crying. I, I've cried a lot on my podcast and these videos. I a lot of emotions. It's with me. I'm one of the. I'm su- I fight. I was a fighter. And like the throw them good, but I'm like the biggest baby. I can't even watch Extreme Makeover or Home Edition without crying just because I'm happy for people and stuff. But I was reading about. I was reading a, reading the part in your book and uh, actually the song Big League by Tom Cochran is my favorite song of all time too. Um, and yeah, I it, play- was, it was surreal. You know, like that was. We were with him for the last 24 hours and just waiting for him to go and his heart wouldn't give out. Everything else is slowly gone and he was a diabetic and it was part of his uh, downfall at the end. And um, So I just said to my family after he passed on, I said, okay, well, I'll go right to the funeral home and make arrangements, which I did. And uh, But when I, I'm, I'm leaving the hospital and uh, Kirk Muller's there and he's going in to see his sister uh, that uh, passed away about two weeks later, uh, Sherry. And so I just told Kirk, and so a little tear in my eye, and um, you know, jumped in the car, and then yeah, Tom Cocker comes on, and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah, that uh, yeah, it's uh, it was a pretty, and honestly, it uh, it brought tears to my eyes. I was uh, I finished actually uh, reading the book, the, the last chapter this morning, and um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it just such a neat story and uh yeah just i don't know just it's such a great book uh if anyone yeah, hasn't read it I know, it's my it's my fault too not like i was asked to do the book i don't know after i retired say 13 years ago 14 years ago and i never did it i didn't want to do it and then after my parents um uh, passed that's i was doing it with my mother alive but she had dementia it was, it was tough um but i wish i had her kind of stories as well that you know they could have been a part of it that's the only thing I, I felt bad it's like you know I wish they were around to you know to help out with the book and read the book and I'm sure there would have been more pictures and different things so yeah. um, here's, here's a third bit that nobody knows so I, I sold my cottage as well when I left Hank then it was time for a change and so obviously I came back here but I go up in the attic in, in my garage, so my dad's store stuff up there. So I, we're cleaning it all out, most of, it, most of it's garbage, mice crap all over. And, um, I go in, I see a suitcase up there, a plastic one. I said, okay, that's my old suitcase. I think I gave it to dad. And So it's been sitting up there since probably 19, or, or, yeah, 1995. And I, uh, I go in and I open it up and there's an envelope in there with pictures. Uh, from Rappersville. I said, oh, this is pretty cool. And I look into it and there's 10,000 Swiss francs in there. I (laughs) thought they paid my agent. They never did. So it's been sitting in the 
garage uh, since, like, you think about it, uh, 20-something years. Wow. Uh, and it's like, okay, my dad did that on me. I know he did. Because, you know, when we went, we had to go through uh, his uh, room <laughs> in, the con- in the condo, we found, we found about $7,000 cash hidden in his, in his bathroom sink. <laughs> <laughs> you guys probably missed a bunch, yeah. too. Who knows? Yeah, it's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, what a great, uh, what a great story. And uh, no, that book, uh, the book was great. And um, you know what? Yeah, you know, you say you wish uh, your parents would have a chance to read it, but uh, you know what? You definitely made your parents proud, Doug. You're still making them proud, I know. And uh, your dad, you mentioned in it, uh, he probably looking down on you about your book, giving you a thumbs up, buddy, because you did a good job. And uh, I know that's what he used to do this to to say, go get the win, right? So. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Doug, what an amazing experience it's been for me. I can't thank you enough. Uh, this is, no. um, it's been great. I, I truly, truly appreciate it. I really looked up to you uh, growing up as a player. You were one of the superstars in the superstar era, even though I wasn't a huge Leafs fan. Um, you know, uh, you were undoubtedly one of the, yeah, one of the best. Thank you so much, Brady. Like, honestly, you're doing, you're doing well. And, uh, continue on with uh, your uh, charity because that's uh, uh, everybody needs help at different times. Yeah, that, no, I appreciate that, and that, like I said, that's really uh, gonna be the, my main focus. And I said it before, like this is not the Brady Leavold Foundation. Uh, there's no problem with people doing that, like uh, you know. But this is not about me. Uh, I don't even want to yeah. see any of the money. I don't want. That's why Jesse Paradise is the financial analyst because you know, listen, I'm an ex addict. I don't have the best track record, so I want people to know that this is, we're incorporating this thing. I am not the president. I don't want to be the president. I've given Mike yeah. Hang in the job. I want to be just supporting if, if somebody needs help, like it needs to get to treatment or needs whatever, I'll get there. I'll help them. That's what I want to do. Um, that's it. I don't need, to, awesome. be in, I don't need awesome. to be in the spotlight. I don't need any credit. I don't need any of that. I just want to help people because there's so many people that need help. And, uh, and I know, and I know firsthand. So I did, that's really my focus. So Doug, um, thank you so so much. I'll, I'll let you go, but let's stay in touch. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, once again, thank you. Uh, thank your brother. Uh, before I let you go, uh, I just want to say um, that everybody up here uh, is a huge fan of yours. Uh, my girlfriend's family, her mom Bev, her dad Steve, her aunt Diana, her grandma Judy, uh, her uncle Stuart is a huge Doug Gilmore fan. Um, they're all really, really excited. And also, I just wanted to say, uh, Donna Reed, uh, who is a family friend of my uh, girlfriend's family, uh, is suffering, going through cancer right now. Um, yeah, and she just wanted to uh, say, she commented on, uh, on the post, she said, uh, thank Doug, uh, thank him from a hockey mom that appreciates him being so great to kids at the rink when he was there with his son. Utmost respect, thank you. That's from Donna Reed, uh, one of the family friends. So that's just what I wanted to share with you. Oh, thank you so much, appreciate it, bud. Okay, Doug. Uh, okay, Doug, that's Doug Gilmore, Hockey Hall of Famer, uh, possibly the greatest leaf of all time. I wanna say thank you uh, to Doug. Um, Doug, thanks once again, my friend, and we'll talk soon. Sounds good, thank you. Thanks, Doug, bye. Holy cow, guys! Uh, wow. Let me uh, let me catch my thoughts here for a second. <sighs> let me look out on the lake, Mainhood's Lake. I just got shivers go through my body. Um, probably gonna start to cry. Um, 
yeah. Thank you guys for listening, and uh, I just want to thank Doug Gilmore. Um, guys, wherever you're listening, please subscribe, share with your friends if you liked it. If you didn't, don't. I always say it, but I hope you did. Um, guys, I'm just so happy. Uh, I'm so lucky. Uh, I just want to uh, really say thanks to everybody for listening, uh, for the support. Uh, quickly, shout out to, uh, once again, thanks to Matt Thompson for being up here this week and helping with the studio. It's been incredible. I have not a lot of friends, um, certainly not uh, any in the flesh. Uh, it was nice. Uh, it's been nice to be able to hang out with uh, with him and get to know him and share stories with Matthew Lashinsky. Uh, also, guys. Matthew Thompson and I are going to be recording uh, an episode of Hockey Arrow and the Road to Recovery um, about the studio. And on that episode, we will be joined by former Sault Ste. Marie Greyhound Chris Lawrence and Matthew Puntereri, uh, both teammates of Matthew Lashinsky's uh, when they all played in the Sioux together. Uh, small world, actually, Chris Lawrence and I uh, were roommates together. Uh, in the Tampa Bay Lightning's Prospects Camp in Victoria for a week. Uh, the Sportsnet article with Garrett Joyce, uh, they speak, he speaks about it at uh, the time when I was playing online with Steve Stamkos, uh, struggling with my addiction at the time, uh, while I was rooming with Chris Lawrence at the time, uh, and then I played with him in Norfolk and played with him in Traverse City with the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, Prospects Tournament, uh, and actually he played with Lashinsky as a rookie. They were rookies together in the Sioux, so me and him talked um, small world. Uh, it's all coming full circle um, and we're just really proud and honored to be able to remember Matthew Lashinsky in this way. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Guys, don't forget to go to HockeyToHeroin.com, um, sign up for the Team Issue Limited Giveaway every Sunday night, guys. If anybody wants to be a part of the Puck Support Foundation, we would surely appreciate it. If you'd like to donate to the Puck Support Foundation, uh, we would appreciate it too. You, uh, I'll give you the details uh, to get in touch with Jesse Paradise about that. Um, if anybody wants to be on on a volunteer basis, help with donation, uh, with fundraising. Uh, if you think uh, that you can bring something to the table, big or small, uh, please send me an email, pucksupport at hockeyheroin.com. Uh, and let me know what you think you can bring to the table. Uh, even if you don't think it's that great or that uh, big of an impact, trust me, uh, that small, small, uh, you know, volunteering of your time or if you think you can do help in any little way, uh, it can make a big, big difference. So please don't be shy, guys. Uh, once again, please, please, please leave me some voice messages on my website, hockeytoheroin.com. Uh, if there's any comments, if there's any guests you want to hear, I would love to hear your voices. But of course, keep them coming on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hockey to Heroin. Uh, but please, I really want to start sharing some of these voice comments uh, as a new segment on the podcast. Uh, so somebody please take the initiative uh, and be the first one. Otherwise, we'll just scrap it all together. Um, hopefully, you enjoy Doug Gilmore. He's just such a great human being. Uh, Darren McCarty's coming up, Matthew Barnaby, Steve Septel, Terry Ryan. Uh, I'm going to have my friend Carson Grant come on, talk about his loss with his brother and addiction. Uh, guys, lots of stuff going on uh, with the studio. I just want to once again um, thank you. My gratitude to all you all for listening, for your support. Um, I love you all. Um, 
it's just crazy, guys. Uh, don't forget to support the hockey news. Uh, buy the article, the inspiration issue, with the great article by Ken Campbell on my story and the Nancy Lushitsky studio. Um, anyways, guys, that's it. Uh, it's Brady Liebold uh, signing off, episode 21. And remember, have a great day, if you so choose.